Midwifery for the People is a podcast about reimagining the way we approach the entirety of the birthing year. Margot's goal is to combine her radical imagination with her knack for strategizing to bolster the birth revolution and a larger global revolution of feminine consciousness. Midwifery for the People is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Now here's your host, Michael Blackstone. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Midwifery for the People with me, Margot. Today I have Angie Hawk on to tell us a little bit about her story and um, share some really awesome perspective and life experience with us. And I guess I'm, I'm going to save what kind of experience for, for in a minute here after you introduce yourself. But just if you're listening and you're interested at all in midwifery and regulations and the interaction between midwives and the state, like this is the episode for you to listen to. So Angie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a little intro for people who maybe don't know you. Absolutely. So I am Angie Hawk. I'm the Nebraska birthkeeper. I am a traditional midwife that is located in central Nebraska. Uh, you can find me on my website, nebraskabirthkeeper.com, or on uh, Instagram and Facebook, the ones that I actually check the most regularly. That's under Nebraska Birthkeeper as well. Awesome. And I'm trying to remember how we met exactly. Do you remember our first interaction our first interaction was probably the wise woman circle uh that indie birth uh created okay cool like in the way back machine yeah that's cool (laughs) uh, (laughs) and yeah we've met in person which is fun not everybody that i feel like i know out there in the birth world um even people i know really well often are people that i've met in person but you're one of the people i have so sort of a fun thing. Um, tell me a little bit about like your background. How did you get into birth work? Like, what do you want to share about just sort of like your origin story? All right. So I started, uh, my beginnings of birth work were actually started in 05 when I was pregnant with my first. I was researching natural pregnancy. And from there, I kind of developed into what I call a pregnancy doula, where I helped other moms like formulate birth plans and talk about options. I didn't actually go to the birth at that point. Um, And these were mostly women that were planning a birth in a hospital scenario. So uh, that was kind of my introduction, or that was my beginnings of me actually starting in birth work. I actually grew up in a, um, basically in an unassisted home birth community uh, where we had a lot of family and friends who just attended each other's births in central Nebraska. You know, there wasn't any formal midwife, but it was just women coming to other women's births. So that was uh, just kind of my introduction to home birth in general, uh, just seeing that hospital birth was normal, but yet home birth was normal, and it was just whatever the family wanted to choose. So after I was doing pregnancy doula work, I started actually becoming a doula attending birth in a hospital scenario. And it wasn't very long um, before I was asked to maybe attend some unassisted births as a doula as well. And so I started with that. And then my calling to midwifery actually happened after my fourth was born. Uh, He was born in a hospital. I had a certified nurse midwife. And I was 
I was thinking that I was going, you know, the most natural route that was comfortable with, uh, with my family. And I realized that not all midwives were the same. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time defending myself and my beliefs to that midwife. And I realized that Nebraska needed better options and that I was going to be one of them. So I started working immediately on my midwifery training. I was doing self-study, but I had this lingering question, what type of midwife did I want to be? You know, we had our certified nurse midwives, which in the state of Nebraska cannot attend home birth. Uh, we do have our certified professional midwives, and we have traditional midwives or independent community midwives. Um, what did I really want to be? And that's actually where I got connected to indie birth uh, with uh, you, Margo, and Marin. I started listening to Marin's podcasts, and really that was what opened the doors to the type of midwife that I really want to be for women and the type of midwife I wish I would have had at my four previous births. Totally. Yeah, so say a little bit more about, like, what the deal is with midwifery in your state, like, what it was then, what it is now, if it's different. Like, you said CNMs cannot attend home births in Nebraska. Um, tell me more about, like, what what's the rest of the picture looking right. like, or give me the right. scoop. So I opened my doors as a traditional midwifery practice through Private Membership Association in 2017, and the waters were already very, very very choppy. So in our state, um, like I said, certified nurse midwives cannot attend home births. It's actually a felony for them. There is nothing written about any other person attending a home birth. There's nothing written about any other midwives, um, any, you know, individuals attending home births, any birth support attending, uh, attending home births, nothing. So, however, Nebraska has about a hundred year plus root against midwifery. <laughs> So starting back to an OB, her name was Georgina Grotham, and she actually lived here in Kearney. She, her and her husband were a medical team, and she was an OB, and she would spend countless hours traveling to and from Nebraska in the early 1900s, or to and from Lincoln, excuse me, uh, in the early 1900s, talking to legislation or legislators and senators about how dirty midwives were and how we really need to regulate this, and women need to, you know, be in a hospital, and on and on and on mm -hmm. and on. And this was in the early 1900s. And it was around that time that midwives here in Nebraska started receiving cease and desist. Um, they started moving out of the area. They started running scared. They started getting pushed underground. Um, so really, when we go back to the history of Nebraska, it's a really deep root um, against uh, midwifery, against women, um, and how – and and against birth, really. So we've been fighting against that. Also, we had a uh, attorney general by the name of Don Stenberg who interpreted Nebraska's uh, midwifery law that certified nurse midwives cannot attend home birth. He interpreted that in 1993 by stating that any other midwife would be practicing medicine if they chose to attend home birth. And basically, even if dad caught in a scenario that was not in an emergency situation, he was also practicing medicine and could equally be charged. So basically, mm -hmm. we went from uh, actual law of uh, certified nurse midwives cannot attend home birth to this gross exaggeration of um, what <laughs> an interpretation of that law, which mm -hmm. was, is totally misinterpreted, and the court cases that he put supporting it actually are invalid. 
he was taking court cases from various other states that have strict regulations around all types of midwifery um, and trying to put them forth in our state. But it created a it created a mindset. It created a mindset in law enforcement. It created a mindset mm-hmm. in doctors and in nurses that states, oh, home birth is illegal here, which is absolutely not. Um, but that was what, that's what the current law enforcement, the current temperature of the state of Nebraska currently runs in. 95% of people think that home birth is illegal here in the state and just aren't educated any further to what the laws actually say. Yeah, that's all so fascinating. I mean, as somebody who thinks a lot about midwifery rules and regulations and um, all of, you know, the politics on sort of the macro level pretty regularly, it's still, like, as you're saying that, I'm just like, the power of these words, both the ones that were actually written down and, like, codified as law, and then also the interpretation of them, it's just, like, mind-blowing how these, like, concepts outside of ourselves you know, impact our lives and our choices. And, um, it's just so fascinating, like on a philosophical level and then right the, the misinterpretation piece, it's like a bad game of telephone or something. And, you know, really speaks like, why, why do people buy this nonsense? Like, you know, of course this is extends beyond birth, but we're talking about birth today. Um, <laughs> Okay, so thank you for giving some of that background. And so you got into, um, you sort of came into this climate, and you said 2017, is that right? Uh, officially as a solo practice providing traditional midwifery services, yes. Okay, so uh, what was, like, the initial reception of that? Like, how, like, what what happened next? Tell me the next you know, part of the story. Yeah, so uh, a lot of curiosity um, you know, there were, there are, or before I came into the picture, um, and there still are midwives who work underground here in the state. Uh, but when I came into the picture, I actually didn't come in underground. I created a website. I'm, I think I might be one of the first midwives in Nebraska to have a website if I'm not the first. Um, I had social media pages and all of that up and running. And so I was not you weren't hiding. Underground. No, I wasn't going to hide. There was no reason to hide. You know, really, when it came to the law, it was on my side. Um, you know, uh, so I wasn't going to hide. And so a lot of people were like, oh, they were either like, oh, we're really curious in Nebraska law change. And, you know, then there came the education. And then there were also the naysayers that, you know, um, who want who want other people to think home birth is illegal, and they're like, oh, she can't do that. <laughs> so there was kind of this mix of curiosity and the mix of naysayers, um, and in the mix of when I first, you know, opened my doors here. Okay. Well, let's see. Is there anything else you want to talk about, sort of as the foundational stuff um, before moving into, you know? the more dramatic, <laughs> I guess, pieces of the story that I'm sure people are curious about? Well, it's, uh, you know, along with the naysayers, I will say it actually didn't take long for uh, people to start complaining, um, not because of the services I was providing. I wasn't providing them specific services. It was people on the outside that were looking at me that would launch a complaint that I was attending home birth. Like, li- literally, that was the complaint. Some third-party um, person. So, you know, and that started actually at the end of 2017. So really when it came to all my legal battles, I've actually been um, harassed by the state, if you will, for almost six years. So and one time, you know, it is a long time. And, you know, my first complaint was lodged by somebody at a baby shower. 
um, who found out I was going to be attending a home birth of the woman who were giving a baby shower for. The baby wasn't even born yet, um, and they launched a complaint. I've had a complaint launched against me, or an investigation actually launched against me for a woman I don't even know who she is, and I did not attend her home birth. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. it's just all this made up. Oh, let's just let's just throw it on uh, the midwife who's standing up shoulder. <laughs> I feel like. Let's keep investigating her. Um, So really, even before uh, we get into the legalities of the big stuff that I've been through, that was a place that I was coming from almost uh, two years before um, my big legal battle. Wow. That's so much. Um, That's so interesting. So were they complaining directly to – who were they complaining to specifically? The Attorney General? Like where were they – Health and Human Services, so is who they were calling into, and uh, I would receive a letter demanding that I surrender for an interview. Um, I would write back a letter, respectfully, no, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they'd be like, well, we're going to do this investigation without you then. Okay. <laughs> so let me know how that goes. Go for it. Uh, you know, it's just like, all right. Um, but basically, yes, Health and Human Services were the ones that were receiving the complaints and launching the investigation. It's so fascinating. Um, not to totally go off on a side tangent here, but that the piece about being, you know, reported or, um, yeah, being reported or whatever we want to call it for attending a birth that you didn't actually attend by a third party, like friend or family member or whatever, um, just really reminded me of an experience here in Minnesota. I won't get into the whole thing, but essentially there had been um, a baby that died at home Um, She had had a traditional midwife as her midwife, but the midwife didn't make it. So that's the first part of the story. Like, the the midwife didn't even make it to the birth. So, like, what, like, how could she have been (laughs) held responsible anyways? Um, And when Marin and I both were living here in 2013, um, another midwife in town was telling people that it was one of our clients, even though it had happened prior to us ever living here. It was, like, wow. even other midwives, like, just were lumping... And I don't think it was, like, intentional. I think she genuinely didn't know who the midwife was, but she heard traditional midwife, and she was like, oh, it must have been them. So it's, like, again, just, like, these games of telephone and rumors and just, like, total insanity um, that can kind of formulate around, you know, us when we are people who are stepping outside the box and showing up and, you know, not hiding. It's like, oh, now I get to have every other traditional midwife's uh, transgressions or successes or failures also put on me because people think I'm the only one. Oh, cool. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Like the token, like you're a token traditional midwife. So it's like, oh, if something happened with one, it must be you, right? Anyways, (laughs) just like, again, just like the, the power of words and gosh, I hope people listening, I mean, I doubt any of these like people who make false accusations are listening to us but if you happen to be please stop doing that like get your story straight like keep your mouth shut (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it affects real people and our lives and yeah absolutely absolutely so you were already embroiled in some of this state harassment like pretty much right off the bat Mm -hmm. yeah okay well where does the story go from here tell me where you want to take it well, we can get into uh, my big legal battle. That's uh, based in June 2019. Uh, we had an unfortunate scenario where we lost a dear, precious baby. Um, 
at home. And, uh, well, actually, the baby wasn't lost at home. The baby wasn't actually born at home uh, completely. So, uh, but we did lose a, a precious baby. And the state was very quick to uh, try to hold me accountable for that death, uh, even though the parents, you know, through the interviews and even in the dad's testimony in court said, no, this was a choice that we made. She gave us our options. This was uh, a choice that we had made ourselves. Um, and uh, despite, and that they don't hold me responsible, they didn't want me held accountable or, re or uh, responsible legally. They didn't want me charged mm -hmm. uh, for the death of the baby. Uh, despite that, uh, the state still came after me mm -hmm. with that. And in the following days, uh, my house was uh, searched. Um, charges were brought against me, and I served uh, three days in jail with the charge of willful child neglect resulting in death and um, waiting bail and then uh, withstanding trial, which happened actually just this last December of 2022. Yeah, so how long, like how many years passed between the, the the death of this sweet little babe and the trial? Three and a half years. Three and a half years, yeah. Wow. So I guess the first thing I just want to say, which I don't want to say a whole lot, I just want to make a platform for you to share your story and what you've learned and experienced. Um, but for people who are listening, you probably already know this, but like this is the scenario that all of us picture ourselves being in at some point and you know it's one of the big fears that keeps people from moving forward and learning midwifery is this climate you know no matter what state you're in but especially in particular states where there's more hostility towards midwives um so I don't know I guess I just wanted to put that out there that that was one of the reasons I felt like this was such an important conversation and to hear from your wisdom, from your learned experience, real lived experience with this. Um, because every, you know, every single week I talk to people who are like, I want to be a midwife, but this is the thing I'm afraid of. I'm afraid I'm going to end up in jail. I'm afraid I'm going to be charged. And I'm afraid I'm going to be put through a terrible, you know, legal battle. Um, and so not that I want to like lead you to some, <laughs> something that you're going to eventually like, you could totally be like, yeah, don't do it people. And I'd be like, yeah, all right. That's, Cool. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know what you're going to say. We didn't pre-plan this, but I just wanted to maybe frame this next part of the conversation with, with that. Like, that's what I, what I'm coming to this conversation with as far as like curiosity and is really just, yeah, wanting to learn from you as somebody who has been through it. So, so three and a half years transpired, um, did end up serving three days. Um, yeah, what else? I mean, like, that's a long time to kind of summarize in a podcast. So whatever pieces you feel like would be the most useful to pick out in terms of, like, the pieces that were the most impactful to you or, um, yeah. Because that charge that they charged you with initially is the charge they continued to to bring forth yes. until this trial in December, right? Right, right. So the, the charge was the... Uh... Willful child neglect resulting in death, it carried a 20-year sentence in prison at uh, the maximum. Uh, so it's, uh, it was big. Uh, you know, the whole, the whole three and a half years were big. Um, what I really seek to tell um, midwives to ask, you know, well, you know, this is what I'm afraid of. It's like, you know, if you're called to something, you have to walk with that calling, um, and, you know, you can be aware of 
your your lingering fears, but you shouldn't let it control you. And I'm big on not making any decision based out of fear. That's never a good place to be coming from. You need to make a decision out of the wholeness and what your inner being is really a call to do and the way you are called to serve. And so, you know, with that, I definitely would not steer uh, women clear of midwifery, but I am very honest. I've actually had a couple of women here in Nebraska who said, well, I want to be a traditional midwife, you know, and we, I just, you know, I talk about the realities, you know, not to scare them, but that it is a reality they're going to have to face, that unfortunately they're probably going to have to face, you know, unless we can make the changes right. that we want to make. So it is, uh, it is a reality they're probably going to have to face, and they have to be ready for that, as ready as you can be <laughs> for that. Um, you know, because it can look a variety of different ways. Like in my case, you know, my home was searched. I was gone. Um, I was gone. My kids were actually home alone, and my husband was working. Uh, we live out of town, so we're about 15 minutes from town. And so my kids were home when the police forced entry into my house. And they patted down my 14-year-old and disarmed her of her pocket knife and started, you know, illegally asking her questions. Luckily, you know, I, I'm big into talking to my kids about their rights. And so my 14-year-old, she's 18 now, but a 14-year-old at that time uh, just popped up and said, I'm not allowed to talk to you, but here's my dad's number. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, she knew that they were not allowed to ask her questions without a representative adult present um, and that she didn't have to answer them. So, uh, so she was like, so she stood on that, and uh, you know, uh, some of the law enforcement who were there were actually very impressed with uh, how well she knew her rights. Um, you know, but with that, it's still, you know, it's not a trauma just for myself. It actually uh, was for the whole family in this case, yeah. and I think maybe in a lot of different cases. And you're right, this doesn't happen just in. Um, it doesn't happen just in Nebraska. It's happening all over the United States, really, and, you know, world, if we really want to think about it. But um, midwifery here in the United States is, you know, there's such a bias already um, against it because most people are very medical-minded. So you're dealing with that um, right off the bat. But, um, you know, through that, you know, there was there was definitely a lot of emotion, and it, it ebbed and flowed. You know, I went into a really dark place about a month after uh, we lost Vera, who uh, that was uh, the dear baby we lost. So about a month after we lost Vera, I went into a really uh, dark place for um, for a few months, uh, and it wasn't from you know my uh, my experience with uh, with law enforcement, but it was about you know, the death, because that was the tragedy, you know, that was the main tragedy. Yeah. And that was something that I was trying to walk with the family with, um, as well as myself. And that was one thing that law enforcement cut off the quickest was uh, our ability for the family and I to communicate back and forth. And so that was devastating and really created a gap in the healing process for on both of our ends. Um, so just having to walk through this, but not being able to talk to anybody because I was getting charged, nothing, everything that I say can and will be used against me. And so, and because it's a death involved, even my husband was, my lawyers told me my husband could not be a safe space because he could be required to testify. I couldn't talk to a counselor. I couldn't talk to people mm -hmm. about the deep things that I was really feeling because anything that I say could be used against me in a court of law. 
And so that really created a delay in the healing process and really an isolating event where I had to walk it alone for the, for the most part. Um, after, in September 2019, I became pregnant with our sixth child, and that was a very hard pregnancy walking um, in yeah. that. I became very physically ill. Um, just as a result of all the trauma and the stress, it was, I actually, I did birth her at home, but it was very difficult because I realized in the middle of the birth that I did not view my home as a safe space anymore because it had been violated by law enforcement. Every time there was a knock at the door, every time the doorbell ring rang, um, throughout my pregnancy, you know, it's just like, you know, shot of adrenaline. Like, who's that? What are they coming for? Um, throughout this time, I was getting additional law enforcement knocks on my door because I was getting cease and desist from practicing nurse midwifery and practicing medicine without a license, even though I wasn't getting charged with that. Um, I received a cease and desist on that. Um, so it was like, who's at the door? Who's calling me? You know, um, I was just very amped up. So during her actual labor and birth, it created a lot of physical pain and a lot of emotional pain that I that really came to the surface and I really was forced to reckon with after that um, and deal with that and uh, formulate, you know, freedom around my home is a safe space and, you know, how that how that all looked. It's, uh, yeah, definitely very, very lows, and then it was, I you know, was doing okay, but then, you know, lows of the trauma, but just... Um, yeah, just trying to process it all and process the PTS that was going on um, at the, you know, in correlation to what was going on on the legality side and um, uh, just knowing what was going on with the family as well and the harassment that they were receiving and it was just tearing my heart into a million pieces. But, you know, honestly, God was so good through all of it, you know, as far as just uh, keeping me, just holding me in that secure place so I could process emotions and bring me things that I needed when I needed them. Hmm. Yeah, I guess just wanting to, especially for people who are listening, whether they're, you know, not a midwife maybe and can't quite comprehend this, or maybe they are a midwife and they haven't experienced, um, you know, a baby's death yet. Um, just wanted to kind of like, put in, you know, I don't want to speak too much on it, but it's interesting because you do tie into my story around this. You know, I had a baby, um, that I was the midwife for and and they died in labor the following year in 2020. And I think you were one of the first people I reached out to like in that first week. And I actually, when I was, um, pulling up some of our back and forth about the podcast, I, you know, typed in your email address and it popped up with uh, a thread that I had forgotten about, which was I had sent you um, and a couple, you know, other midwives and um, some of the OBs that we're friends with this this request to please reach out to this mama um, and speak to her because she really was wanting to hear from other practitioners around, like, some of the clinical aspects and just, like, did I make the wrong choice and... Um, and in that thread, I, I said something like, you know, I've talked to 10 of you in the first three or four days after this baby died. Um, so I just cannot imagine not being allowed to speak to other people about it, um, to process it, even, you know, just clinically, right? Like, that was huge. And then emotionally, and then, yeah, speaking with the family. I mean, I was over there every single day for the first, you know, week for sure, maybe two 
um, and at least, you know, checking in my texts. And so, and even with all of that, it spent, sent me into a tailspin that led me to take a year off, you know? And so, um, just putting it out there for people who maybe haven't been through that experience that without the legal piece, it's extremely hard when you're an empathetic, you know, midwife who cares a lot about your clients and of course cares about these babies and, um, that it's, it's a big deal to have a baby die and it's not anything any of us want, of course. And, um, so yeah, to then layer on top of that, the legal piece and some of those ramifications that you spoke to is like really inhumane, you know, um, that they would do that. And, and I think really points out how our system is set up in a way that is like not for life, you know, it's not, um, supportive of life and it's not life affirming. It's not human. It's so, yeah. Inhumane is the word that keeps coming to mind where it's like, Oh, well we have to figure out whose fault this was, of course. Right. Like, um, death equals someone did something wrong in their eyes. Um, and, and instead of like asking the question of like, what does everyone need? What would actually help heal and serve everyone in this moment? It's like so punitive and not restorative. So I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox now, but thanks for bringing some of those emotional realities to the surface, because I think that's important for people, like you said, to understand if it's something that they might have to face um, eventually themselves. So like, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, although maybe I should go back to school and become one um, <laughs> at some point, but I don't understand a lot of like the, the jargon and, and the pieces there. So, and I don't want you to feel like you have to educate us on all of that necessarily, but are there any pieces to that part of the puzzle that you want to share about? Like, I know at some point you got, um, a really lovely lawyer and how did that look? Um, the charges stayed consistent from the beginning, but like, what about like strategy and like how that all shook out? Um, maybe before the trial, like what was happening kind of behind the scenes with all of that. And you said that they were giving you more cease and desist letters. Like, I don't know as much as you want to talk about that or not. I'm curious to hear more. All right. So, um, when uh, when I was first charged, uh, my lawyer, I had a, uh, my fifth was exclusively breastfeeding at that time. He was nine months old. And my lawyer had really advocated that, okay, well, if you're going to charge her and come and arrest her, how about she surrender at 6 a.m., have her arraignment by noon, out by, you know, 6 p.m., and that way her baby's only without her, you know, 12 hours. Uh, that should have been reasonable, but going back to the humane conversation uh you know the detective flat out said no she needs to spend at least one night in jail and it was one of those that was like you know here you we have a death of a sweet baby so we're going to punish your baby you know um and it's like okay what happened to you know innocent till proven guilty like like who made you judge and jury and executioner so it ended up being three nights totally. because they submitted a, submitted the arrest and the surrender for the 3rd of July. Um, I did not get an arraignment that day. And, of course, the 4th, everything's closed. I did get arraignment on the 5th, but then it, the bail was delayed over 13 hours um, before it posted and I was able to be released. So 
you know, just, uh, just with uh, that starting and knowing who I was dealing with at that point, um, you know, I did, uh, I hired, uh, at first I hired two lawyers, uh, Stu Dornan, who actually uh, stayed with me through the whole entire time, and Kurt Gosch. Uh, they were the uh, lawyers that um, the previous or another midwife here in our state had used. So I chose them, and we walked through about three years together. We brought on Hermine Hayes Klein in September of 2022, um, less than three months actually before I went to trial. So, um, and the main reason for that, you know, first of all, there's there's expense. Um, we weren't sure if I was. I was pretty sure I was always going to see trial. I was I was pretty sure that that was in the cards for me, but my lawyers kept holding out hope that this would get dropped or dismissed, just like uh, the other midwife uh, before me. Um, so they were so it's like okay, well let's just see where this goes. And really, there was a lot of hurry up and wait. Like um, I would there would be pretrial hearings, most of which I didn't have to attend. I did have I drew an amazing judge. Um, you know that was if I could have handpicked my judge. I would have chose this one, um, and that uh, uh, Judge Timothy Dave or Timothy Burns, um, and uh, he was amazing. I didn't have to go to the pretrial hearings. Uh, he allowed me because it, uh, where I was getting charged, that was about three hours from where I live, so I would have to travel wow. six hours round trip for basically five minutes because that's about how long the pretrial hearings go. Where it's like, okay, where are we at? And my lawyer says, well, where they're at. The prosecution says where they're at. And then it's like, okay, we'll have a pretrial hearing on this date next month. Um, mm-hmm. So th- thankfully, I didn't have to attend a lot of those. I did have to attend a few when they needed me to actually uh, voice <laughs> something um, throughout the, the experience. So we did bring on Hermine Hayes Klein. Um, and then uh, uh, Kirk actually dropped uh, back uh, because he had already done everything that he needed with my expert witness, and rather than pay three lawyers when he actually really didn't need to do anything from going forward, we decided to go mm-hmm. with uh, Stu Dornan and Hermine Hayes Klein, and then uh, Keith Dornan came on a, a few weeks before my trial. So, um, you know, the I'm trying to think. Uh, is there any specific questions around the legalities? I'm I'm not a lawyer either. But <laughs> right, right. Was the midwife before you? Was she charged with the same, the same charge? No, actually. So she was charged with practicing medicine without a license, and I think there might have been a couple other charges. Uh, she had went through the, her process for four years when they dropped it, uh, and then they she, dropped it. Mm-hmm, they dropped it here in Nebraska. So that's she maybe thought, why they tried something different with you. You know, Perhaps. it's it's hard we to know. know. Um, it's hard to know. You know, I I can't speak for why they charged me the way that they did. Except it's very rare for a midwife to see a criminal charge. Um, you know, it, it's uh, pretty unprecedented, uh, particularly this type of charge because it's very. They basically yeah. were saying that I willfully deprived the infant of oxygen by agreeing to attend the birth. That is a big. That is a big lead to try to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, I was actually pretty, I was like, hmm, that's really interesting for the prosecution to try to take on uh, because that's a really difficult charge to prove. 
Now, in my mind, in my opinion only, because this can't be proven, but I do credit my PMA for this type of charge. Um, like I said, okay. I have a private membership association. Um, I have my articles of association. I was not charged before the articles of association were confiscated from my home. Um, I'm assuming the detectives and the prosecution read them before charging me. Maybe they didn't. Um, I don't know, but they did come up actually in my trial very, very briefly <laughs> and not anything to the private membership as much as what I, who I said I was in the private membership, which is who I actually am and who the parents testified I am and all that. Right. There was um, transparency. Right. Exactly. If anything, they proved I was very transparent uh, and I was very honest about who I am and my experience. So. Uh, however, they did confiscate my articles of association, and then they chose to charge me with this willful child neglect because in my articles of association, and I, I talk about this um, other places, um, there is a clause called a substantiated evil where I cannot violate another person's constitutional right, in this case, constitutional right to life. So anything that I do that's a willful evil, a willful substantiated evil, can actually void the PMA, and it's not applicable because then you're trumping on someone else's constitutional rights, if that makes sense, without getting into mm -hmm. a bunch of legal jargon. So um, the fact that I was charged with a, a willful intent to neglect or willfully depriving the infant of oxygen uh, goes kind of to show that they maybe read the articles and that they understood them more than what they would tell the media they understood them. Um, and that's why I was charged the way I was charged, because even the judge was very confused on why that charge because even in his verdict um, when he uh, declared me not guilty um, he even goes basically to to reprimand the prosecutor of you could have charged her with this this and this and it would carry the same sentence like and it was very evident that the prosecution really was out for me to be found guilty like that they it wasn't we just want to drag you through and bankrupt you and teach you a lesson it was they wanted me to serve time um they wanted me to yeah. have a guilty sentence it became very very apparent during the trial because before that i was a little unsure of their intention um overall but it became a very apparent that they were they were out for some skin like um, yeah. So if they could have gotten away with a, if they could have charged me with something that was easier to prove but carried easier the same sentence, I think they would have gone for it rather than going for this um, child yeah. neglect uh, resulting in death. So, but you know, like I said, I can't speak for them. You know, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, there could be a lot of things I'm missing in this, and I probably am. Sure. Um, but you know, just from my opinion and perspective, currently. That's kind of, that's how I am seeing it. Yeah, and that was one of my questions that I had for you, is, you know, how you felt like your PMA kind of played into this, since that's a question that we get a ton um, here at Indie Birth, since, of course, Indie Birth is a private membership association, and, you know, Marin operates that way, and um, Jason, her husband, does a lot of work on PMAs, creating them for other people, and so... Um, it's not something I ever feel like I have any legs to stand on in terms of <laughs> teaching or uh, speaking to that specific topic. So thank you for sharing that. It's really fascinating. And um, right, it's like there's no way to really know what was going on behind the closed doors with the prosecution and yeah, like what their their intentions and strategy was and and who you know the politics of it all. Right, like. Um, 
and I did watch the trial, at least chunks of it, and was just really unimpressed with them. Uh, and I'm allowed to say that I was uninvolved, but <laughs> um, just continually was like, uh, are those lawyers? Like, I feel like this is very. Um, I did wonder if they were like, working for me or if they were working for the state. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of. It was, and I was like, gosh, they like really didn't do their homework on like birth in general or like how it works and. Man, so fascinating. Which I guess we could um, we could get into that piece of it if you want to. Uh, yeah, like God, that must have been huge to be on trial for. Was it three days? Four days? Uh, technically, it was well three full days of testimony. It was five yeah. days altogether. Three full days of testimony, uh, one day of closing arguments, and then the verdict the next day. So. Yeah, man. I mean, after three and a half years of like build up, that's that's like movie um you know blockbuster movie status stress and drama um so what was that like for you like you know like i said i watched it and could see you there on the the, whatever was that called even court tv or whatever court tv uh, yep yeah picked it up and and is it still on youtube if people were curious like go watch it back i believe so yes i believe it is still on court tv's youtube channel or on their website um somewhere yeah so maybe i'll I'll link it in the show notes because it really was fascinating um and yeah just you know the intersection of so many of these topics that are important and of course i i know you so it was like (laughs) watching riveted gripped so yeah what was that like for you in the in the hot seat there right so you know, leading up to that, I spent a lot of time fasting and praying, and I had a lot of people fasting and praying with me as mm. well. And just uh, for, you know, um, just for my lawyers to be very, very clear and concise and for the truth to really come out and for, uh, you know, confusion amongst the prosecution, which was definitely answered. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, and, you know, when I found out Court TV was going to be there, oh, and Clarity for the Judge, we prayed fervently, actually, for my judge, um, because, you know, first of all, I drew this amazing judge, and I drew him three and a half years before I saw trial. You know, judges, you know, when they up and retire, they typically up and retire. Like, there is really no warning. Usually, it's due to an injury or sickness, and so through the whole three and a half years, we were fervently praying for my judge's health and his well-being. Uh, because I didn't want to draw a new judge. Yeah. And, um, but there was a lot of prep work involved in this. And, um, you know, God really did a good job preparing me. There wasn't anything that I wasn't expecting. And, you know, I was able to look at this. And Court TV actually really helped with this in a, as well. Um, you know, when I first found out Court TV was going to be there, I wasn't extremely excited. But now I'm so grateful I am so grateful that my friends who could not be there and supporters that could not be there could see it all or as much of it as they wanted. Um, I was grateful that this was starting conversations amongst people who had never thought about that before, and that was evident on the some of the comments. Oh, my gosh, um, the comments? Oh. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, no. Um, yeah, within 30 minutes of trial <sighs> starting on Monday morning, I was already getting hate messages all over my social media pages. Um, which, you know, it was to be expected, you know, haters are going to hate. That's what they do. Um, however, it was so cool to see even court TV, the people who are there running it, their minds change. 
Um, you know, totally. because when they were there Monday, you know, they were, I mean, they were hard, they were callous, they had read everything about me and all the, you know, the media. All the terrible um, articles that yeah, were like, terrible articles, fifth, um, that maybe some fifth graders wrote. They were so yeah, bad, so poorly written and just like, what um, is this? Yeah, they had like the cameras in my face and then you could really see, it actually started Tuesday noon at lunch. Um, I was in the cafeteria. I wasn't really eating much because I didn't want, you know, so high yeah. tension you don't digest well. So, but I looked over and I see one of the report, one of the men, uh, camera crews on court TV just looking at me with just this compassion and this empathy of, wow, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Um, it, and so, and it really turned a corner Wednesday amongst you know, even Court TV, like the anchors on the Court TV saying, you know, talking about my emotion and the attachment I had to the family and all of this stuff, you know, you could really start to, people were starting to get the wheels turned within Court TV. And I tell people, you know, I I am a Rocky fan. Uh, I felt like I was in Rocky Four, um, where <laughs> Rocky comes in and they're all cheering for the Russian. They're, you know, spitting on Rocky. They're against Rocky. But in the middle of the uh, the fight. Yeah. All of a sudden, everybody starts cheering for Rocky, <laughs> and that's that <laughs> that's kind of what I felt like was going on. Is people, you know, were cheering for the state, you know, to give me the max prosecution. I hope yeah. you spend the rest of your life in jail. That was like the totally. messages I was getting. Um, and then Ugh. I started getting a lot more love. I was still getting some hate stuff, of course, but I sure. started to get a lot more love and a lot more understanding, particularly around you know starting the beginning Tuesday, uh, late Tuesday, early Wednesday is when I could see things start to turn. Um, so, uh, Core TV definitely helped with me keeping my facial composure <laughs> because knowing that there's a camera live on you the whole time, you know, it's just, um, you did you know, so well trying to, you know, keep the face and not react, um, facially, uh, you know, to any, the witnesses, particularly the EMTs and the OBs, you know, but I did expect what they said. Like, I expected nothing, uh, nothing really in my favor from any of them. <laughs> uh, you know, I, especially the OB, I really expected what she was going to say to be what was said. Um, so there wasn't any surprises, but you know, you still want to do the eye roll and the, you know, the, the grimace face and stuff. So, of course, TV helped with that. Um, you know, and just helping me to really hear what they were saying because, you know, they thought they were speaking the truth, even though they weren't, you know, and it became evident, you know, that they, they really weren't, but it did also become evidence of bias, you know, um, there were things that came out that I didn't know, um, like the email sent from the OB stating to the detectives that making sure that I would get in trouble no matter what, um, you know, those types of I things. I missed that part. So you want to say more about that? So uh, in the OB's testimony, when she was getting cross-examined by my lawyer, uh, and Hermine was actually the one cross-examining her, she, she pulled up or she stated the email that um, based, the email that she was writing back and forth to the prosecution that, or not the prosecution, well, the detectives at the time, because prosecution was involved, to the detectives at the time, stating that the family was most likely not going to choose to, uh, char to prosecute me, but if the family didn't choose to prosecute me, because she knew that they weren't, that I would get in trouble no matter what. 
She wanted uh, to make sure that that happened. What? What'd you say? Sorry. She wanted to make sure that that happened. Yeah, she wanted to make sure that I was going to get in trouble no matter what. Um, and then, you know, while... You and know, that's, and the, the, that's the OB that was on... That, that yeah. actually was a witness? Uh, that actually was assigned to the family when they came in, when they transferred. So... Um, she also, uh, the OB refused to keep the detectives from the family while Vera was dying. Like, literally, they were taking her off life support, and the detectives were coming in trying to pull the mom and dad away for interviews. Um, literally, the dad's holding their dear baby while the detectives are interviewing them. Um, and the OB, the OB wouldn't, would not come up and say, you know what, you need to come back. Because they, she totally could have. Um, and the detectives would have respected that, but that, you know, just those things, um, telling the mom that, well, I had to turn you in because I'm a mandated reporter, you know, turn them in for what, you know, a home birth, you know, that, you know, that was, that was the thing. So a lot of those things came out in the, the OB's testimony. In fact, all of those things that I mentioned came out in the OB's testimony. Um, so there were things that I didn't know, but yet I wasn't surprised of her take on it. Sure. So, um, but through that, you know, uh, my demeanor was like, you know what? Anything that's going to be said needs to be said. You know, I welcome, I welcome it all, um, uh, because I want the truth to come out. So, um, even the non-truth, the truth will still come out. The truth will still, sh uh, sh uh, show through. So, um, I welcomed what they would say with, you know, and with compassion for them because, you know, when it came to the EMTs and the OB particularly, they were, they were only trained one way, you know, so really, yeah. um, you know, unless you really do a lot of inner soul searching and digging, you're not going to find a different way, um, you know, unless you pursue it. And, you know, they hadn't. And so they really didn't know another way. So having that compassion of, wow, I hope this actually maybe stirs some conversation in their own heart and spirit uh, that they have to Absolutely. dig into a little bit. So um, that's what I was kind of hoping. That's what I, I hope for them. I hope uh, the best for them and hope that this stirs a little bit of question and acceptance into their mind that hopefully they take and um, research a little bit. Um and dig into it, just an openness that people choose different things. So, um, and that that's okay, right? Yeah, and that and that's like, okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, I did back. catch a piece of um, the cross examination of the OB. I didn't. I didn't catch the email part, but I did watch part. I can't remember which piece um, or what exactly she was speaking to, but it was really fascinating to just watch and feel from that OB, just like such. Um, yeah, just, like, again, that punitive feeling and that, like, really rigid, like, this was a wrong choice and someone should pay was kind of how it felt. And and it was very much like, she, it just felt to me like, oh, she walked out of med school and took all of that as gospel and that was that. And so, yeah, I, too, hope that this was an opportunity to reflect on that and be like, you know, this family didn't, didn't want this for you and for them, right? Like, they didn't want this to be the outcome of, you know, their baby dying, like, which is already so tragic and difficult. And, um, and so I hope that whoever was involved, like, with that choice to move forward, 
you know, really sits with like, oh, wow, I should realize the impact this had and like did any good, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are pieces that were good that came from it, of course, like silver linings and everything, but um, yeah. yeah, just what a world, mm. what a world we live in. It is. Um, so. Okay, so tell us, tell us the verdict. All right, so um, the verdict was not guilty. Uh, you yes, know, the judge good. actually, so going a little bit into this, it's actually very rare for a judge to explain a non-guilty verdict. My lawyer uh, actually told me, he's like, if it's non-guilty, the judge probably will not explain it. If it's guilty, the judge most likely will explain it. Um, and so, uh, but I was praying. I've been praying over this verdict. I needed the judge to explain a non-guilty verdict um, because I needed to know what, where to go from here, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I just needed that that mic drop, or not even necessarily where I need to go, but where Nebraska can go, you know. I needed there to be an impact, and I, I felt like a non-guilty. That was one of the reasons why I chose a bench trial. There were a few reasons why, but um, which, uh, which is, uh, for those that don't know, that is a trial that's decided, the, the verdict is decided by a judge, and the judge alone. So, um, you have your option of jury As trial. As jury trial. Yes, you have your option of jury trial, which is 12 jurors, um, or a bench trial, which is just the judge. And there's, there's pros and cons depending on the situation. But in this case, I chose a bench trial. Um, and so, but I needed him to explain that non-guilty verdict. So, uh, and he did. And when he started to go into it, um, I actually wasn't sure that it was going to be non-guilty. <laughs> So, um, because I was like, because he started off with, you know, um, the anti-talks actions were likely unlawful um, with her acting as a lay midwife. I was like, like, you know, I was like, huh? And so he started getting into this about a minute in when I, when I realized uh, that it was going to be a not guilty verdict. And it was basically when he said the state had failed to prove. And that phrase right there, I was like, yes, that's, you know, what I'm looking for. But, um, you know, he did, it was, you know, a great verdict. Um, His explanation, there were things of it I didn't appreciate at that time, um, but there were things that I did appreciate, which is basically the parents' constitutional rights to choose home birth. That is actually the first time that's been done and said in a U.S. court system. Um, so yeah, and it's been brought up for about 45 years or yeah, about 45 years starting in California in 1975. That's not exactly 45. It's a little over, um, or a little under. Um, so, you know, it's been a, you know, this has been a journey and we've got, we got that. We got, um, a parent's constitutional right to choose home birth. Um, but there were things that he did go on to say, like parents' rights aren't absolute and those type of things. And he did go on to list uh, what he meant by that. Um, but, you know, looking at this verdict, I felt, at first I felt like I didn't get the mic drop moment, you know, because I didn't realize exactly what we had until uh, Hermine called me right after the trial, about an hour or so after, um, and talked me through it a little bit more. And then I realized what a powerful verdict it really was. And even though I wasn't crazy about some of the things he said, like my actions were likely unlawful with acting as a lay midwife in Nebraska, um, it really did give me a roadmap to show me where he's seeing things. 
um, in the mm-hmm. state and things that we can improve upon and things that we can educate because there are certain things that shouldn't have been a question in his mind um, sure. that were a question. And so it's like, okay, these, this is where we need to go. This is what we need to do next. Mm. So um, so really, you know, I've, I've taken multiple copies of my verdict and I've highlighted and I've made notes and, um, you know, as far as, you know, what pieces do we need to Uh, what things do we need to really tackle first and foremost, particularly when it comes to firming a uh, parent's birthing rights? Um, What things do we need to tackle to make sure that that's not a a question in anybody's mind? So um, it it was a very very brave verdict that really um, showed me where we can go with this. That's really cool. I just wanted to quickly say I did watch your verdict live um, I had spun off the highway into a snowbank on the way to the gym, and I was I had been planning to watch it like when I got to the gym, maybe like while I was on the treadmill or something. Um, but I was like in a snowbank waiting to be winched out onto the highway, and so that's where I was when I watched your verdict. So I was like ugly crying in my snowbank in my van. <laughs> and Alicia had I think texted me too, being like, "Oh my gosh, are you watching?" And yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's it, a really uh, cool, powerful thing. It, it, you know, it was a powerful thing. Um, it didn't. It didn't really resonate with me, um, and still doesn't, because I knew, you know, I knew that guilty or non-guilty, this is still not over for me. You know, okay. Nebraska still has its prejudice. This is happening to another midwife currently. Not the same charge, but. Um, different charges. She's under uh, legal attack right now. Um, this isn't over, but you know the thing that I took the biggest comfort in is this is over for the family legally. Yeah. Nobody will bother them legally about this ever again, and that I took great comfort in because now, you know, I felt like they were kind of in a even though they were not being updated through the three and a half years of what was going on because they didn't really they didn't have anything to do with it. Um, so they weren't being updated, but just that this is finally over and they don't have to think of the looming trial ahead and that they can really focus on their healing and their wholeness, um, and that nobody's going to be bothering them, prosecution, subpoenas, none of that's going to be happening again. Um, and that was actually my biggest release when I let, let out, you know, like this blur of emotion, uh, there on court TV was that because I knew and I'd been praying about this if it were if it were guilty we would have been forced to appeal we would have had to appeal because of what needed to be set right in the world of midwifery um, not mm-hmm. not because I'm so worried about being found not guilty but at this but this was going to be setting a precedent regardless in the world of midwifery and you know we needed to to have it uh, correct um, so I didn't want to have to drag the, the family through this anymore. Um, so the More fact years. that it was non-guilty, yeah. it was like, yes, it's over for the family. And, you know, we can go on with the next phases and not have to worry about an appeal. That was also relieving. And, you know, I wasn't going to jail. That was also, that's also a bonus. That's um, always nice. That's a perk, right? You know, don't have to do my work <laughs> from the inside. Um, so that was a bonus. But, um, and my family gets me back. But, um 
you know, really the forefront was like, oh, my goodness, this is over for that, over for the family legally. They will not have to have this looming over their head anymore. And now with this verdict, it's like, oh, we can go forward. Um, so it, it is a very, so what very is powerful next? thing. You know, it's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I've actually been working with um, the attorney general. I'm trying to get both of my cease and desist removed. Um from the Attorney General because, first of all, the first one is practicing nurse midwifery. I don't practice nurse midwifery. I've never practiced <laughs> nurse midwifery. It's a completely different You've never different pretended scope. to be a nurse midwife. I never pretended to be a nurse midwife. That's actually been proven in a court of law. Um, you know, so it's like, okay, that, that needs to go away. And then practicing medicine without um, a license and personating a professional and removing the MD initials behind my name, none of which I've ever had. Um, you know, they try to, you know, tie that in with some things that actually don't apply because in the state of Nebraska, there are certain statutes that protect individuals from, uh, in performing emergency situations if the, uh, if a higher medical authority is telling them to. So, um, really, and that's where I was in, in the situation that they were trying to apply this to. So. You know, I've taken those to the Attorney General. He's researching them. Um, hopefully those get removed um, just because I want them removed even though they don't apply. I want them off my record. Um, and then the next is just uh, working, you know, in – we're not sure what this looks like exactly yet, but just reaffirming parental rights and maybe working something in um, with that in, uh, uh, in the legislator aspect of working with parental rights. It's sad that we have to reaffirm that in a law, <laughs> but apparently we do because it keeps getting crumpled on here in our state. Um, also, we'd like the Attorney General to reinterpret uh, the midwifery law from 1993. So that's what, yeah. you know, we like to work on too. So, um, is because I think that would solve a lot of our problems. <laughs> um, yeah, and right. just basically it's education, 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 um, you know, as far as around uh, you know, hopefully, you know, with medical professionals who are open, law enforcement professionals who are open, uh, EMTs who are open, just education about what home birth is, who, you know, who might be there in attendance or whoever the family chooses to be in attendance, and just uh, a thorough understanding of, of choice and why they would make that choice. Um, because it is an actual very, very normal choice, and that's all we knew up to, you know, 150 years ago. So... Um, you know, just trying to, to educate and make this more of a subject here in our state without going the licensure and regulation route. That's something that uh, my heart is still very set that we need to stay away from. Um, you know, I don't believe licensure would have protected me. I don't believe regulations would protect me. I don't believe they protect midwives and families in general, um, overall. Uh, so, you know, that's one thing that we want to steer clear from and really focus on the parental rights aspect. Cool. Yeah. As I often say when talking about, like, transporting, um, but I think this applies, to in, like, the, the education piece and the legislative piece and, you know, all of the things that you were just speaking to, it's, like, just being obnoxiously likable, you know, and being, like, this is, this is this is who we are. Like we're good people, us midwives and the families who choose us. Like we're not scary. We're not evil. Like we're, <laughs> yeah. um, so a lot of it's, you know, it sounds like, 
um, and it sounds like maybe this was part of the blessing of the core TV thing. It's like just getting a chance to show people that and be, you know, witnessed and seen and known in a way that makes it pretty hard to like, just making it way harder to like hate us, you know? And so I think you're a really excellent representative, um, that you've been perhaps divinely appointed to this task since you are of course very likable. And, uh, <laughs> I think are someone, you're someone who's going to do such a great job with all of that. So thank yeah. you for the work you're doing and that you've done. And, um, it's kind of a big last question, but like, would, if you could go back in time, would you uh, do it all again? The same, same way. Like what are your closing thoughts for maybe an aspiring midwife who's listening or, um, yeah. I guess that's who I would be curious. Um, I'd be curious what you'd say to someone from that group. Absolutely. That is a big question. And, you know, if I could go back and change, you know, Vera's fate, the baby, I I would change that fate in a heartbeat if I could. Of course. Uh, But facing the legalities, uh, the legal system head on, the trial, all of that, I wouldn't. Um, I would not change that. You know, you said something that I really resonated with is divinely appointed. And I really felt from the very beginning I was chosen um, to to break down this government stronghold um, that we have here, that I was chosen for it. And I knew, and that's why I felt so strongly that um, we were going to see trial uh, because I knew that was probably going to be a part of breaking down that government stronghold or the beginning of it. Um, and not reinforcing the, gover- the government stronghold and mindset of it. So, but the first step in breaking it down. So, um, with that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I wish it could have happened cheaper. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. You know, but even is there a place now, that people can contribute to <laughs> to your uh, legal fees? You do you have? I think you have one, right? Yes, I actually have a Chess account, and I will, uh, I'll just message you the link, and you can post it on, do you have show notes? Um, I do have a legal fund. We still, we still have about, you know, $65,000, you know, remaining outstanding um, that we're trying to pay, and we've paid in, um, up to this point, we've paid almost, it totals about $150,000. Um, from start to finish over these three years. So there is a lot, and there's 65,000 remaining um, from the trial. So I will I will give you that. But, um, yes, I, I wish I would have done it cheaper. Um, there might be things that I look back later and wish I would have done differently. Um, sure. You know, but at this point, I'm like, you know what? I, I'm very grateful for the experience of seeing trial. Uh, I'm very grateful maybe for, for all of that experience. Um there are things that I don't like about it, but yet I'm very grateful that I was able to be a part and witness that and that I was chosen. In a way, I feel kind of honored to, to stand trial in that way. Um, and that's kind of funny to say <laughs> a little bit. So, uh, But here my heart in it, you know, is more of, you know, knowing that this needed to happen and knowing that it was going to happen this certain way Um I mean, there's multiple ways that strongholds can come down, but in this case, this is what um, was needed and uh, or what happened anyway. And just being honored to stand in that space and be that representative, I wouldn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate the time you've taken, and I know 
you've got to scoot to your next appointment here. And, um, yeah, anything else you want to share or things that we should include for people to check out um, in the show notes? Any other places they should listen to your story or see stuff you've written or, I don't know, any other resources you want to share? I do have my blog on my website. Um, you know, I, it's not extremely current. Uh, I haven't been much of a writer lately, but you're welcome to check out some things that I've written on regulation and why it doesn't serve people, um, different types of midwives. I have written a little bit about uh, my sixth birth experience, which is what I had, which is um, the legal system was overhanging in the balance of that, and so I allude to that a little bit more. But I will be coming out with some things uh, in the future, so you can stay tuned to that and subscribe because that's the the best way. If you subscribe on my website, I will be posting updates uh, as I get things out and rolling again. And basically, I just want to say, Margot, thank you so much for having me and holding the space for me here to to share my story. And thank you to anyone who is listening. I hope you find it encouraging and insightful and informative. And feel free to reach out to me if uh, you want to connect. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed what you heard, please hit the subscribe button and give this podcast a five-star review. For more enriching content and conversation around the primal physiological process that is pregnancy, birth, and beyond, please head over to IndieBirth.org. And if you are in the Duluth area, seeking prenatal and midwifery support, you can find Margo at DuluthMidwife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.